You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at CortezCurrents.ca. Today we present part one of a Cortez Current special feature, Cortez at Ferry Creek, in their own words. This story will be told in a series of half-hour segments. All of the segments will be available as podcasts on CortezCurrents.ca for your listening convenience. Most people are probably aware of the protest and blockade at Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island. For over a year, forest defenders have blocked a logging road to prevent logging company Teal Jones from cutting intact old-growth areas. For this special feature, I did a little oral history with seven local people who went to Ferry Creek to join that blockade. After a public appeal for interviewees, I managed to schedule recording dates with Margaret, Erin, Caitlin, Maya, and Danny from Blue Jay Lake Farm, and Cease and Christine from Whaletown. Their voices have been woven together to create a narrative from multiple points of view. I'd like to thank our interviewees, sincerely, for taking the time to tell their stories. I hope that this series will convey something of how it felt to be there, on the ground at Ferry Creek. And I hope our listeners will find these first-hand accounts as fascinating and as revealing as I did during interview. In this first episode, I ask our friends and neighbors... What inspired you to make that journey to Ferry Creek? Why did you go? And what did you find when you got there? I yeah, I remember following it a little bit in the fall and donating at Christmas time and then I've started following them on Instagram in the spring and really seeing kind of what was going on there in the pictures and they were desperately calling for people I guess at the end of May when the injunction was actually starting to be enforced and yeah I felt like I wasn't really working I just moved to Quadra recently and that I was able-bodied and that I hadn't done that much activism work in my past, but had always thought that it was really important. And so I wanted to put an action to those thoughts. And so I asked my boyfriend and then also someone that was living on the farm. We had lived together there to go to Ferry Creek together and we did. And yeah, I thought it was going to be fun. I thought I didn't know I'd never been to a blockade. I didn't know what it was. I brought about 20 books with me thinking I would just be sitting on the road the whole time. I didn't realize that you were building stuff and everything. Interestingly enough, it was uh, a cruising trip on our boat in May when I heard via our boating companions that there'd been a big, big rally at Ferry Creek and there were a thousand people marching. And, and I just thought we were actually up near in Grace Harbor. And I thought, what am I doing sitting on a boat having a recreational holiday when there are people out there walking and marching for the trees and I just I said to Cease you know when we go back I I have to go I'm compelled to go and find out for myself what this is really about it just felt the wrong thing to continue boating so I went initially in May with with Amy Robertson and Lee Lee Johnston we we 
we met there and and sort of were there in support for each other. I feel like growing up in BC, it it's been around. There's mm-hmm. been conversation about logging my whole life, and I see it like I recreate in areas that have been logged basically like everywhere in BC Mm -hmm. that's anywhere close to people and accessible. Most of the reasons that you can get to places that you want to go swimming and camping are because they've put logging roads in there. Like you can only get to Tofino as a tourist because they logged there. And so there's definitely, I've had a lot of conversations about kind of the balance of that. It's like, I don't know how to say it. Like, like we're all benefiting somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. Roads. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of we do have benefits from not just the logging roads, but the industry and like it very much did play a part in why we're able to live here and be here. And I can't remember how I heard about it. It must have been covered in some small newspaper or something somewhere. I love that area. I lived in Victoria for five years and spent a lot of time exploring and recreating in that area, more along the coast, like the Juan de Fuca Trail and stuff. But I brought many people to Avatar Grove and was always trying to like get friends to give me a ride out to there to go explore more in the woods around there. So it felt very like not close to home, but just like an area that I knew and cared about and was curious just to see what was going on. So I think, you know, A lot of people were inspired by what was going on there. A lot of people, including myself, went out to see how we could help with a movement that, you know, seemed able or willing to go all the way to undertake a major change and to protect something invaluable that was worth protecting. And yeah, I think like a lot of people in BC and Canada and around the world, I think it's absolutely insane that we even consider logging what's left of our old growth, considering how much has already been lost and how important of an ecosystem it is to, you know, the healthy functioning of everything. Well, I heard about the movement quite a while ago from a lot of friends that have been there and told me really great things about it. Um, And I spent some time kind of almost going, but not really getting there. And then I came here to the farm on Cortez and it seemed like there was a really huge community of people that have been there. And I would say that inspired me quite a lot. Just hearing everyone's stories and being surrounded by people that had made that journey, as well as like taking a bit of space to like be in a, in a safe place with good food and good rest made me feel like I was more able to go and spend that energy there. This is sort of my first venture into any like sort of environmental activism, really. I've like been in the forestry industry before. I've done tree planting. So like I'm, I'm familiar with those sorts of places, but never in that context before. It's really cool. I've never, I never imagined something like that could exist out there. So it's really amazing what everyone's done there. Like what inspired me to to go? Yeah, I guess I've read about environmental movements and environmental activism, and it seems to always be somewhere else, like the Amazon. And then it's like, this is my own backyard. And I'm not political. I don't know all the political issues going on, but it was just so clear to me that thousand-year-old trees need to stay upright. (laughs) 
And that's what inspired me to go and curiosity the first time. I mean, I obviously was there initially because of my interest in in trees and forests and ecosystems and the natural, you know, the earth and natural systems. And quite frankly, what didn't pull me there initially was the call of the Indigenous people and their, their desire to have their land back. But you can't help but be caught up in that when you're there. And interestingly enough, the two themes interwove the whole time that I was there and my experience was just those four days. But those two themes were interwoven so closely you couldn't, you couldn't pull one out from the other. And the commitment of some of the people who had been there for a year was really inspiring. Yeah, just seeing all the clear cuts was really painful and it was hard because, yeah, just it was hard to do that. And um, seeing, and I just cried all the way to like couch and lake or something like that because then it gets less clear cutty. But yeah, and when I, I look through clear cuts, it's really hard. This fight has been going on for a really long time and it's not really changing. Like they're still logging, they're logging old growth. It's very like accepted by science how bad it is and like we're in a climate emergency and they're still just completely destroying all these ecosystems in the name of money and corporate interests for the good of a very small amount of people and not even for their good like they're not gonna (laughs) pay really long-term benefit i think people are desperate to do something about the planet and climate change and it's a very small concrete piece of action that we can do and it it we all we live in a rainforest here on cortez we all relate to trees and forests and the importance of of their health and our health being intertwined this isn't just about fairy creek you know, it's about intact watersheds, you know, it's about ecosystems that haven't been damaged by industrial activity. It's about the biodiversity that can only exist in those places. And by any definition, there's precious few of those places left. I mean, what took me there is I just find that in my life right now, frankly, outside of my family, it seems like there's not a lot else that captures my passion than survival of of a livable planet. That's where my heart is. So Fairy Creek was just the obvious focal point for that. And and it is close and relatively close and accessible. But specifically beyond that, though, there's a direct connection for me back to a decade or so ago when Cortez was having a bit of a dispute with Island Timberlands. And uh, there was a lot of really wonderful people showed up to support us. And the outcome was quite a success. And I think that that was due very much to the lovely people who came out and stood with us. So it was it was time to pay it forward, I guess. I mean, I've been in cut blocks quite a lot before. I've been around that sort of stuff quite a lot, but I've never seen it the way that I did when I was at Fairy Creek. You know, like, 
feeling the the misery of the land and feeling the 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 devastation there like on a very personal mm-hmm. level yeah and and i guess what happened for me there we could talk forever about the detail of it the sense of community and the opportunity to actually get your hands dirty and do something instead of just talk you know i get tired of writing letters and signing petitions and felt pretty good to pack some garbage and peel some potatoes and dig some out house holes and and felt yeah to just do something useful that actually facilitated the work of the of the people that were doing the really hard work up on the front lines people who are up there getting soaked and going for weeks without a shower and eating uh, lentils for breakfast and you know <clears throat> so i can't express too much my admiration for those people yeah i thought a blockade was just you know maybe make a sign and have it behind you and you're sitting and just i don't know <laughs> really had no idea <laughs> but people were yeah waking up early and they were digging in the roads and putting cement and all kinds of stuff in the road to, to stop the, the police from being able to arrest you and to delay them. The other thing that I found very moving was the night that I stayed in the block, watching the, I call it the city come to life. People who came in that night um, for the purpose of building and left at five in the morning, you know, as, as light was coming. So there were 30, 40 people there with headlamps building these amazing structures and the camaraderie and the way everything kind of just, it didn't just happen. There had to be some kind of overall sense of things, but each, each hard block that was being built and designed kind of had their own little group of organizers and designers. And it was, I think, a real testament to how people can work well together. It was truly amazing. And some people might uh, criticize what was happening in terms of building these hard blocks. But I think what was really beautiful and moving was to see how motivated these people were and how well they worked together. So this is my fifth trip. And my biggest contribution is bringing people like Danny there who are much more physically capable and courageous and get out there and do all sorts of things that uh, I can only support. For sure, one of the first things, and everyone's told me this before going there, but the community there is just amazing. You know, like people will give you literally the shirt off their backs. You know, I've received shirts off of people's backs like many times there. And yeah, just the atmosphere of acceptance and of openness and everyone's immediately your best friend. You know, they've got your back. Like it's a a really different sort of bonding experience than you get anywhere else, like going through things that are so intense with this group of people. It's pretty intense what's happening there at any given moment and any day, especially because people are not really sleeping, any day can contain all the entire range of emotions and experiences. Like when I've kind of tried to record what my experience was there, like I'll be writing about one single day And it'll take me like a week to just record what happened in that one single day just because there's so much going on and the days are so long and it's just like a lot to process. One thing I could say is it was lovely to see people supporting one another. 
just the sense of like community that can come about from having a goal and something that you really believe in um, Mm -hmm. so strongly. How that can bring people together, not to take away from, you know, how hard it is to live up there and I'm sure there are issues and I think in some ways like our society could learn a lot from movements like that of how you know we need to have that sort of energy and momentum going forward to like tackle the issues of our times so I was like really struck by like obviously there's a lot of people that cared about the issue and wanted to like give things and food but not a lot of people that were able to show up and A lot of the showing up just meant just, like, being present and being there. And I think maybe I was struck by, I guess, because it's a very decentralized movement and it's hard a lot of the time to find out. Like, no one is necessarily in charge, so finding out what you should be doing, like, there are certain rules, but there's also a lot of, like, you just need to figure out what you should be doing yourself and do what you're called to do. Like, a lot of... I think it frustrates people some to some degree, but it's also very freeing to not have clear direction about things. At the end of each of those meetings, the facilitator would say, so, now that you've been told what's going on, particularly you folks who've just arrived today, the newcomers, you now have the complete authority to do whatever needs to be done. And in fact, you have the complete responsibility to see that it gets done. Either do it or see that somebody does it. And I just was totally struck by the decentralized organization that was happening there. It was absolutely fascinating to see how things functioned in as a community and it was a community of you know there were probably a hundred people at headquarters in and around headquarters and then that didn't count the you know probably the 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 50 plus people that were up in some of the higher camps and it was just absolutely um, inspiring to see how things happened how community worked, how communication happened, how, you know, there was there was a real sense of headquarters being the support for these upper camps. It was a really beautiful thing to experience. I would say, like, it's really amazing how many different kinds of people are there. Like, you would think that it would be, you know, just bums and hippies, but it's really, it's people from all sorts of different places in life, you know? And, but we all have this unifying big desire and this greater cause that brings us all together and there also there was a lot of families like a lot of young kids were there as well at fairy creek and there were a lot of older folks coming in for a day or two or or longer like there's one person that every time i go there he's just come into and i'm sure he's in his 70s or something like that and continue to come and yeah i remember this older man he came in up to me and i thought he had parkinson's disease or something like that and he's like i want to get arrested you know, like, and he was there. He's like, tell me where to go. I need to get arrested. And so we sent him off to go get arrested. Yeah, so there are a lot of people who care. It was really, when I was blocking the road in a hard block at the 2000 cut block, there was like a hundred elders that had come from Victoria for the elders for ancient rainforests. And that was really cool. 
and they came and the police were overwhelmed and the police left and the elders came up and encircled us and they said thank you so much for doing this and they brought us food and cookies and like granola bars and water and and they had a circle and sang some of their songs that they had remembered from when they were some of the people who had gone to protest at Clackwit and other like Maine or Maine Island is another one and that was really cool to see like a generation of people that had done a similar thing in the past and had come and saved us. There was a lot of infrastructure there. There was, it was marvelous. You should have seen it. There was, you know, there was the first thing that you came to, well, there was the main gate where you were asked to agree to these things you mentioned, the, the safety and respect and all of those things. And when you did that and then you were allowed through and there was a second gate that were, was set up to be quite an obstacle if people wanted it to be. And at that point, you were just smiled at and waved through. And you got to the info place. And it was manned 24 hours a day. And, and there were stacks of information and answers to any question that you might have. And you went up the road past that. And you got to the kitchen. It was, it was a marvelous kitchen. Yeah. When I was uh, there, probably this would have been August, every vehicle that came in, we would have them stop at the gate, read this whole Safer Spaces document, have about five things that we asked them. Would you be willing not to have drugs or alcohol? Would you be willing to make sure our BIPOC people feel safe? Would you be willing... I can't remember all of them, but it was really clear. And even in August, it's like, and we don't want sunscreen in the river. We've got buckets on the side. Wash mm -hmm. your bodies before you go in. We don't want litter. If you see anything, pick it up. If anybody is doing anything that you think isn't good for the movement, bring it up. Like, we're all in this together. Yeah, it was really, really amazing what it had evolved into by August. It became really clear what was required of each person that came into camp. And mediation and interventions that were peaceful and de-escalation was working to make sure that those rules yeah, were coming. I would say that that's one of the most impressive things about the movement, the way that they handle those things mm -hmm. coming up, you know, because it is a decentralized movement. You know, there's no one person that can be like, mm -hmm. okay, we don't want you here. I'm the boss, so you go. You know, that's not how it goes. It's like we sit down, we make space for a conversation. We ask this person, what's going on? Why have you been making these choices? What can I do to help you do better? You know, and if they're not willing to work on it, then that's when you, they're asked to leave. But I think every person that makes a mistake there or doesn't do things right is given an opportunity and the space to express why, where that's coming from mm -hmm. and potentially improve on it, mm -hmm. you know? I was at one circle where a young man had been, had been using alcohol and I guess he was given some choices and one of the choices was to shadow a particular Indigenous leader who mm -hmm. took him under wing and he had to stay with him for, I think it was three days and three nights. And then they were going to have a further conversation. It was amazing. Yeah. In other words, you were actually modeling for the cops what community policing would really look like if yes. we did it right. I genuinely think that those people are who should be leading our our, <laughs> yes. our world. Like I have met some of the most capable, 
clearly moral oriented people in my in my life you know i mean like these people are putting in 18 hour days you know they're barely sleeping barely eating they're cold they're wet and they're still making rational decisions you know mm-hmm. every single day for not just affecting themselves but affecting a whole group of people mm-hmm. which is such a difficult thing to do we had the good fortune to participate in a circle in the afternoon that um, was hosted by Bill Jones. He is one of the elders. He is the hereditary elder who has extended the invitation to people to be there. It is his invitation by which we all have felt ethically it was okay to be there. And to see Elder Bill Jones coming in so humbly and so consistently and so soft-spoken, that's a whole other model of leadership that, that I was privileged to witness. The Indigenous leadership there is truly one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I was just so in awe of the decentralized leadership that kept working, more or less, the motivation of the people. And I thought, wow, these are the future leaders that I want in my country. And they are being treated as criminals. And it broke my heart. You have been listening to part one of Cortez at Ferry Creek in their own words an oral history with Cortez locals who went to Ferry Creek to join the Forest Defenders. This show will air on Saturdays at 1 p.m. for the next few weekends, with a rebroadcast Wednesday evenings at 5 p.m. In future episodes, we'll find out more about what the protesters at Ferry Creek were actually doing from day to day, their interactions with the police and locals, the complicated politics involved, and what impact their Ferry Creek experience had on our friends and neighbors who made that journey. The entire series is available as podcasts at cortezcurrents.ca. Just a reminder, the views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency, but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. And as always, thanks for listening.